Hello, and welcome to the Growth Mindset Podcast, your weekly dose of inspiration and exploration. Join me, your host, Sam Harris, as I discover how mindset can help you do incredible things through my conversations with the world's most interesting people, from tech billionaires to leading scientists, best-selling authors to notorious hackers. The goal is to increase our collective wisdom and attitudes to make us all happier and healthier, wiser and wealthier. Who doesn't want that? Welcome to my last ever episode of the decade. It's been a really interesting 10 years where my life has gone from being someone who's never gone to a university or done anything too crazy um, to being someone that's traveled the world several times, started many businesses, runs a podcast, interviews really cool, famous people, um, work as a expeditionary person going to cool places just for the fun of it. And um, yeah, I've learned a lot about myself, who I am, what I am, what the point of a life is. But I think <laughs> as much as I learned in all these 10 years, most of that um, I relearned again in this podcast episode, which I'm about to share with you. And the, in much the same way that the Sam Harris that went into this decade is not the same Sam Harris that is coming out. The Sam Harris that went into this episode is not the same Sam Harris that came out. I, I was fundamentally changed in a big way by this conversation. And that's why I've chosen to release this now as my New Year episode, because I wanted to do something inspiring to make you like really think about who you are, what you want to be in this world. And I wanted to write something myself and do it, but then it seemed really pointless because I've already created the perfect episode in this interview here. I recorded it about three months ago and it's just had such a profound effect on my life. And um, I sent it to a few friends just because I was like, shit, you need to hear this. And they've just been like, wow, I, I really have to like rethink my brain and sit down <laughs> and what, what is going on. And my uh, my podcast editor also sent me a really nice message being like, oh my God, Sam, I don't, I don't know what you just did in this episode, but like my brain hurts now. And then I have a note taker as well. And she's, she's really cool, but her job is literally making notes for good podcasts. And so she's, she's obviously spent a lot of time listening to many, many podcasts. And then she sent me like three essays after she heard this and she, she just went a bit nuts. And um, I'll, I'll read a, a few choice excerpts out to you about what the reaction was for her. The episode with Nam is a complete thriller. This is by far my favourite podcast episode ever, and there are so many things in this discussion that I can relate to, and so many things that I thought were limited to my point of view, but turns out that they aren't. This guy has an approach to life that is ideal, and his horizons of thought are probably much, much broader than most people. He expresses who he is without letting himself be bound to any of the norms that we, people like me, feel safe in, and we are reluctant to abandon. This episode magnified my view of what my mind can do, and it was like nourishment for the much more innovative and radical and open part of my mind or my personality. I loved it. Some more uh, stuff that I'm not going to read out. I'm sorry that I'm suddenly so talkative, but this episode has just produced so many different thoughts in my head that I, I feel like sharing them with you. Most of the podcasts that I've written notes for are about success and health and stability, but this episode of yours, it makes me rethink the whole idea of success is this a word for fame, money, health, productivity, and innovation combined? The elixir of happiness or something? Is that all enough? Is that it? There's so much to think about. Thank you so much for fueling this outlook of mine. 
gosh, I wanted to quote everything. This one was perfect. So yes, um, it had some pretty great reviews so far already, and I haven't even released it. And it's made me do some really radical different things that I will go into at the end of this podcast episode um, once you have also heard it. And I will also be very welcome for anyone sharing their opinions with me and we willing to have a chat with you. Um, so the interview ended up being two hours long, which um, is a bit long for just a single episode. So I've broken it into two at a very choice point and means that I get to transcend a decade with probably the most timeless episode I might ever make in my life anyway. So it seems quite cool to have it um, existing in two decades because we really go into some of the most timeless questions of what it is to be a human. And so it makes a lot of sense to really have this doing something cool like transcending a decade just because if I can do that because I've run a podcast. So yes, lots of epically deep questions and interesting answers and things for you to think about. And I really hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. We're going to start with me asking now about how we got into coaching, which doesn't sound that profound, but it will make sense. So there we go. Me and Naum Kostuki having a very fun conversation. Did you like have any classes on coaching and that sort of stuff? Or did you just start doing it by accident because you were talking to lots of people and found that you could be helping them at the same time? So the way it happens that, yeah, people have always asked me for help and advice on stuff. So it's always been there somehow. I haven't gone to a coaching school or coaching academy or anything like that. But again, it doesn't mean that I didn't have any experience coaching because the way it happened for me is that I joined a judo class when I was around five. And at seven, our teacher made us teach the five-year-olds. At nine, I was teaching the seven-year-olds. At 11, the nine-year-olds, et cetera, et cetera. So by the age of 15, I was coaching adults on judo. And then, you know, my mom's a teacher, and then she became a headmistress, and she was, you know, always learning things. Like I remember back in the day, she was already learning about NPE and transaction analysis, things like that. So I'd be reading books from her shelf on topics like how the brain works and, you know, topics around psychology and learning. So I've always had these inclinations. And then when I got to university, I discovered ISEC and I saw guys doing trainings and workshops. And I was like, this is amazing. I was like, wow, you pay to talk. Like, no, 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 it's a great job. Like, and I was like, no, no, you don't, you're misunderstanding me. This is a great thing. I love it. And so that's kind of how it happened. People started asking me and I put myself forward. And through ISEC, I got a chance to offer my help and people would fly me all over the world to help them. Cool. Yeah, it's interesting because I uh, think part of why I'm doing the podcast was that I've sort of naturally guess like you always sort of coach people a bit a lot of people ask me how I do things or ask for help on things and it's sort of if I'm having conversations with people how can I like have this conversation and like have like a thousand people hear it and benefit from it rather than like just one-to-one kind of thing and it's mm-hmm. a more scalable version of kind of coaching when you can show lots of useful things that you're doing with people and demonstrate like what people can be doing with their lives rather than trying to reach everyone directly Absolutely. And I think that there's a great value in listening to conversations. 
listening to conversation, I think, is an amazing way of learning and often more efficient and more entertaining than going to a class or a seminar. You know, one of my favorite movies is called Dinner with Andre. I don't know if you've seen that, Dinner with Andre. No, I would recommend. I think it's an awesome movie. Uh, cinematographically, there's nothing. I mean, it's a conversation. It's two guys talking. That's it. So now and a half, two guys just chatting over dinner. And I think it's awesome. It's so interesting. It's fascinating. So, yeah, a powerful conversation can be highly interesting. Yes, what's the conversation about that they have? Is it like a, how something went completely wrong? Or? I'll tell you the truth. I cannot remember. <laughs> just remember it being I just good. remember it was an awesome, interesting conversation about life and how one of the two guys is changing and it's kind of putting the other one uncomfortable and there is that sort of conversation about them yet sort of changing. Okay, cool. Oh, I'll look it up. So what conversations get you excited? Good question. I guess any conversation with someone where I get to find out something new that I don't know or... Well, where I get challenged as well is quite interesting. It's always, as in some people ask you questions that you don't find really easy to answer, but then you kind of get there eventually and you sort of feel like you're smarter because of it, even though they didn't necessarily teach you something. That's really nice. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Which I think you're really good at as a coach, as in you're really good at asking questions to sort of get people to find out the things that they already kind of do know, as in, well, I don't, I don't know so much about your style actually in person because I haven't spent a lot of time with you but certainly a lot of the questions that you always seem to ask people on Facebook or in your writing are always like the ones that like get you thinking yeah I do know the answer to this <laughs> but I kind of really need to like reorganize my brain a bit and actually like think about this properly yeah this is one of the gifts from my dad he always used to tell me that the answers don't really matter because the answers change but the good questions, they remain the same. The most important questions in the history of mankind are still the same. The answers are changing. Like, you know, like the most important, who am I? You know, where are we going? Where do we come from? These very, very important questions, the answers keep evolving. And we keep looking at it from different perspectives. But the questions themselves are always relevant. And so, yeah, that's what I found is that I'm definitely on the hunt for questions a lot more than I'm on the hunt for answers. Because when I find a new question, then it opens a new door. Yeah, nice. Yeah, so that's, that's quite topical for me as a podcast host. I'm trying to like, have my best questions, but I've actually started not using my questions that I've had so much. Like I've, I've really reduced the amount of like prepared questions and I kind of I almost prefer not preparing for an interview because I find that I, I try and like steer the conversation about something specific and I kind of limit what I could be talking about. Whereas if I just yeah. sort of start the thing with asking them for their life story and then after four minutes of just hearing like about what they've done, I can kind of just pick and choose anything that I want to go into and just keep on going with that as long as it goes and how long it stays interesting. And the person is always interested to talk about it rather than me just trying to steer it down something that is maybe irrelevant yeah so i have like a few things at the end but otherwise it's yeah in terms of interviews one of the most interesting person that i've ever seen talk about this is this ted talk i can't remember the guy it's called the art of interviews 
And he has something beautiful in there. He talks about how he's interviewing this woman live in front of an audience. And she's kind of dodging all the questions. And it's kind of a little bit of a, you know, cat and mouse kind of game. And at one point he asks her, he says, what was it like not being a beautiful woman in, you know, the entertainment industry? And he said that when he asked that question, the room went silent because everyone was like, holy shit, how did he ask that question? You know, like, you can't ask that. But he said at that moment, she opened up and suddenly they had a real conversation. And now they weren't playing the cat and mouse game anymore. They were really talking about something meaningful and deep and powerful. And he said that, that when that happened, he learned really that he's on the hunt for the question that people want to be asked, but nobody ever dared asking. And I thought that was such an interesting way to look at interviews and to look at questions. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. That's kind of what I've certainly found that a few of my interviews have felt haven't gone perfectly where I've asked some sort of interesting stuff the whole time, but I've never quite found like the perfect question to get them to unravel where some people I kind of have and it's just completely changed the tone of the interview. It's just kind of flipped into something just super interesting and hasn't necessarily stayed on specific topic of what I wanted to talk about beforehand, but it's just gone into something that they've been super passionate about. And like the next half an hour has just been really, really fascinating. And yeah, it's definitely when you can find the right question for the right time and person, it's really nice. But it's awkward when you've got someone that hasn't got a lot of time and they're really famous for something and you want to kind of talk about that. And yeah, it's a hard one. And then you talk about the obvious. And I think yeah. that that's kind of often the mistake is to talk yeah, about yeah. what's obvious and what everybody already sees, what's in the light. I think that what's interesting is what's under the iceberg. It's figuring out what's behind the scene, really, behind the persona. Because I think that we all have, and especially when you do interviews, we all have kind of that persona that we're used to. And I know I hear myself when I talk in an interview or when I talk on camera, uh, when I talk at a conference, how my voice and everything is different than when I talk with my friends. And I know it, and it's so hard to get rid of. Yeah, when you have a really good interview, it sort of it kind of happens by accident, and you just sort of you're there in the moment and you're like, you get to the end of it, you're like, oh shit, I've just had like a really great conversation. You kind of realize what's happened. And mm -hmm. it's sort of almost, you, know, you realize it's happening. But yeah, I mean, if I just asked you like, what's under your iceberg with that sort of, would that help you unravel? Would you just be like, oh, I don't know. You just have to like kind of somehow get there yourself. Or is that like- I, I guess that's the challenge with asking two direct questions that sometimes you, it can, unlock stuff but i guess if the person could tell you right away then it's probably not the thing that's at the deepest level of the of under the iceberg right because what's interesting is like you said is that question when certainly someone asks you a question you're like wait a second wait a moment i need to think about this and you know it just that moment where it just really opens the door you see a new landscape. Yeah, it's sort of like you don't know what it, you don't know. If you ask someone yeah. like, oh, what do you want to talk about? They'll probably just be like, oh, it's fine. Let's just talk about this. Whereas if you kind yeah. of manage to actually say the thing, they'll suddenly just go like, oh my God, all these things. 
Yeah. yeah. In the same way, you know, about interviews, another thing that I heard from someone is at the end of the interview, keep the camera rolling because it's at the end of the interview that people say the most interesting things when things are over. That's when suddenly people are like, okay, and now they're talking. Yeah. <laughs> so that's another, another one. Because, yeah, it's, it's hard to know what you don't know, and it's hard to know what's interesting for other people. And I found that for myself that in everything I've done, what I find the most interesting and the most amazing creations of mine often are not what people like the most. And I've heard a lot of other artists and creators who say the same thing. Yeah, it's definitely, as in people kind of, well, when I'm interviewing them, seem to think that they should be talking about one thing and then they'll be talking about something else. That they're like, oh, this probably isn't that interesting. I'm like, well, this is the best thing that, that we spoke about the whole time. It's mm -hmm. kind of silly. You don't realize that the most interesting stuff is the stuff that you're like, Oh, yeah, well, whatever, yeah, I just do Yeah, that. yeah, often it's the stuff that you do, like, every day that seems, like, completely normal to you, but, like, no one else in the world does that every day, and, like, it's pretty crazy to imagine that someone's doing that all the time. And mm -hmm. these weird things that you, like, are just completely used to. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, it's quite fascinating. Absolutely. Anyway, it's back to coaching, and, and, yeah, I guess you. So I've heard about, like, you're doing judo from a early age, but what else were you interested in as a child? What was, like, the foundation of Nam? Where did you come from? I guess the foundation from a learning perspective is really everything. I mean, I was always interested in everything. Like I was never interested in being the best at any one thing, but I was always interested at getting good at everything. So I always wanted to be just good enough that I can do that thing and be like, oh yeah, I can, I can kind of do that you know, and that people look at it and they're like, oh yeah, this guy knows how to, you know, I don't know, play the piano or it's like, oh yeah, wow, you can do a few tunes and, you know, just do a couple of tunes and people are like, oh wow. So that's kind of, I guess, a lot of the foundations for me. My parents must have been very ADD themselves because I did everything, you know, arts, sports, scouts, I did social activities. We traveled, you know, I went to schools with super rich people. I went to schools with super poor people. I had all sorts of weird and diverse experiences. And that's really been the foundation of everything for me is this idea that every time I would travel into a different group and a different activity and a different circle, the rules were different. You know, some things were the same and some things were different. But yeah, there was always rules. There were always, you know, things that were okay, not okay. There were always social structures. But within the framework, then everything changed. And that's kind of what quickly became the foundation of my life is this idea that there are some immovable things about humans. And then there are some stuff that can be made anything you want it to be. Yeah, I think it's uh, really similar to me in terms of as childhood and now later in life when I've been doing lots of travelings. And I never even realised until last year I was talking to an anthropologist and was like, shit, this is what I've been doing. <laughs> I love anthropology. I've been going to all these different places and basically just studying human groups and like what's going on and I like, get super into it. And I didn't even realise like a word for it. 
Right. <laughs> Thanks. And so far, yeah. It's a good word. Um, interestingly, two years ago, I went to cook for a festival called the Animal Spirit Festival. And so, you know, one of the things that everybody asked at the festival, I heard that question a million times through the, the whole weekend, is what's animal spirit? And, you know, and everybody had an answer as to why and blah, blah. And eventually someone asked me the question. And I was completely expecting it weirdly and it was like and so what's your animal spirit and i was like uh and i thought about it for a second i was like humans like humans humans is the animal that i've been studying since i've been born i mean as a kid i always felt like i was from another planet Uh, i remember seeing an interview with charlie sheen going completely nuts and talking about how he's not from this planet and blah blah but listening to him i felt like you know i i've had that feeling also always that i'm not from here and that my job is to learn about how humans function and that's you know my sort of purpose in life is to become human you know like my main job here was to yeah learn how to be a human being who can function on this planet and this society. And yeah, and, and that, that's been a lot of my journey is that feeling of, yeah. How do you be a human? You know? Oh, yeah, that's deep. But yeah, again, I, I kind of guess I sort of relate to that as, and I didn't used to talk a lot when I was really young and I, um, I definitely spent more time just asking people questions and studying them partly because of, like a self-defense to stop them from asking me questions because I found it very difficult to talk, but also because I was just quite interested and didn't really matter what I could say about myself anyway. I was just interested to see how people work and what was going on and would sit there kind of feeling like I wasn't really like another normal human and was definitely more interested in like observing what the hell the rest of these weird people were doing. And (laughs) funny to hear. Yeah. So on that subject, then how have you, integrated what you've learned into how you are as in how have you become more of a human and found your place on the planet okay how do we get there <laughs> so one of the the immovable things that i've discovered about humans is that there's social rules and social structures everywhere no matter where you go no matter how rural and backwards a place is no matter how advanced it is there are these frameworks everywhere Every society has it, and every framework has more or less the same characters. So the characters of the human show are the same everywhere, in every culture, the basic characters. What's interesting is that if you go back to you know, ancient cultures of Greek mythology, of the tarot, of astrology, of you know, whatever other ancient you know ways of describing humanity chinese calendar mayan calendar those archetypes of humanity we actually know them they're all there they're all explained in those books like all these ancient books that's what they're about they really give us a framework of the humans everywhere and so that's the, the most important thing i've learned is that there are a set of rules to play with It's a game. There's a game that we can all play and we can all choose our part in this theater. 
And, you know, within those roles, the roles that are important as, and that's not taught in school. The stuff that's crazy for me that's not taught in school is the rules around emotions, how human functions emotionally, and the link between how our emotions create reactions and how stuff that happened to us create emotion, how each individual manages the emotions, the connections between emotions, thinking, conceptualizing, and taking action. That's kind of a very interesting little process that people do very differently in different places. And that changes a lot about the people who are successful and happy. Another thing that's really been important in this research is that uh, most humans don't know how to be happy. Like we actually are not taught how to be happy. And even though science knows a lot about happiness, we're actually <laughs> surprisingly bad at knowing how to be happy and doing things that make us happy. And we're all fucked up. <laughs> like we all have huge fucking shit going on. We're all carrying baggage. We all have shit to deal with. Every single person everywhere has stuff to deal with in their lives. Nobody's immune. I haven't met anybody who doesn't have their share of stuff. Um, yeah, we're pretty tied to our baggage as well, which yeah. if we didn't spend so much time owning it, it'd probably be a lot easier for ourselves. It's kind of silly. Yeah, but you know what? I find that actually our baggage is part of what makes us unique and different and what guides us. I think our baggage is actually a, a very good guidance because our baggage is what frees us, you know? Mm. I was thinking more of like the not helpful baggage, but there's two types of baggage really. There's like baggage in like all your memories that have defined who you become as a person. But there's also baggage like getting preoccupied about things that aren't so important. And I really feel like a stress of need to do this thing that actually is making me unhappy. But Yeah, and both types yeah. um, can become free. Once you learn how to use them to free yourself, then they become an opening and then they become a source of, again, a new door opening, something exciting. And, and so I find that looking at the baggage, it's a great way to look at where to go forward. Yeah, yeah definitely. Well, a lot of things I want to unpack from that. I still don't feel like I've quite understood how you have now used this to become a, to find yourself. Become but, a human? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, that's a okay, yeah. So I didn't get there. Okay, so let me try. Good preamble. Again. It's definitely like. No, no, no. Okay, okay, okay. We're gonna get there. We're gonna get. Yeah. How to be human? I guess how to be human is to not not try to be perfect. I think that that's that's been I guess one of the the important things. Not trying to be perfect. I think that one of my biggest mistakes as a kid was trying to be perfect. And other kids always hated that. And adults also hated that. And I hated it too, actually. Trying to be perfect all the time. It's not very human. I think that one of the most amazing things about humans is that we're not perfect. And actually, we're, we're, it's probably the one most unique things about humans compared to anything else in the world. Like if you think about it, you know, Plants are all perfect. I mean, you wouldn't think of a plant not ever being perfect. 
because it is the way it is. Same with animals, they're the way they are. The universe is perfect the way it is. The only entity that has the privilege of not being perfect and making mistakes really is humans, I think. You know, the concept of a mistake, of something being wrong, is very human. It's the most human thing because God is perfect. Humans are the only piece of creation that make mistakes and can be wrong. And I think that that's something very underrated about humans is our ability to be wrong. Yeah, we have this, and we're the only like, animal with the ability to really imagine things as we'd like them to be and have this, like, this concept of what perfection would be in our heads to then mm-hmm. not achieve it and be annoyed about it, whereas everything else kind of doesn't really conceive of these things that they can imagine. So they just, things are, they're where they are, and that's fine. And yeah, yeah there's uh, some interesting stuff around happiness around people that have lost their like frontal cerebellum or whatever. <laughs> some, mm-hmm. I think where they basically lose the ability to like plan ahead or like imagine things. And it's kind of bad, mm-hmm. but they are much less anxious and just kind of happier in the moment. And they don't have real concept of tomorrow or like things that they can't imagine but they're just sort of there and they're like, oh, well, this is what's going on. This is fine. And so I'm happy. They don't really get stressed out about like, oh, I need to pay yeah. tomorrow or whatever. Well, there, there was this interesting thing in the show um, Heroes where this character who talks about the fact that as humans, we have two options. Either we live in the future and we live a life of meaning. And a life of meaning is always lived in the future and it's intrinsically unhappy. Because if you live in the future, you live in what can be. And obviously what can be is not yet. And therefore, whatever you you thrive for will never be achieved. Because whenever you get there, you'll thrive for something else. And so a life of meaning is a life of unhappiness versus living in the present and living a life of happiness. And when you live in the present, you're happy with the way things are. And it's a very sort of Buddhist, I guess, approaches, you know, like the guys you're describing. We don't have the frontal lobe. Um, they're happy in the present and they don't need to change the future because the present is fine the way it is. And to me, one of my personal interesting explorations, and that's not really necessarily about being human, but that's about how I can be myself as a human, maybe. That's, that's kind of, I guess, the link. I think that we're all human in, in the same way. Being human is a very, it's a thing that we, we all learn to do in one way or another. But then we can all learn to be unique and different and to be ourselves and find that's something that somehow resonates. And for me, it's the integration of opposites. It's how do you bring things together that shouldn't be together. And these kind of situations of, you know, a life of meaning in the future and then happiness versus a life of happiness in the present and no change. How do you bring these two together? And how can you live in multiple realities at the same time? And that's another really cool thing that humans can do that. We can live in multiple realities. And that for me is freaking awesome. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? Well, maybe you need some better help. And conveniently, better help quite literally exists in the form of an app called BetterHelp. So, 
counselling from a licensed therapist is just a really good idea. I can't tell you how helpful it is to unpack your problems confidentially with another human instead of bouncing around your own mind, often making things worse for yourself. So I'm delighted to be both using and promoting BetterHelp, the app. Basically, it's an online counselling app where you get matched with a qualified therapist of your choice. They have over 3,000 licensed therapists and you can specify your requirements to get a therapist perfect for you and your problems. So whether you're depressed, angry, anxious, suffering from trauma, if you only feel comfortable with like a gay black therapist, then you can put that in your preferences and that was what you will get. So you can talk over text, chat, phone or video at times that suit you and get started in under 24 hours. It's available on most normal electronic devices where you can schedule in calls uh, weekly pretty much. And financial aid may also be available to those who qualify, so it's really worth investigating. But if not, you do still get a good deal with 10% off using the code GROWTHMINDSET. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash growthmindset. Simply fill out the questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counsellor that you'll love within 24 hours. That's betterhelp.com slash growthmindset. We can live in multiple realities and that for me is freaking awesome. Yeah, okay, cool. I think I get what you mean, but could you define what you mean by multiple realities at the same time? Well, what I mean is that You know, the way I learned that the world worked as a kid is one thing is true at the same time. Either the world is white or it's black. It can't be white and black at the same time. But there are certain things that can exist at the same time, especially in my mind when it comes to who we are. And so, for example, let's take one of them in terms of career to take something very simple you know before it was very simple you used to be an engineer that's what you are you're an engineer or you're a doctor or you're a lawyer today you're what they call slashies which is that you're multiple things you're an entrepreneur slash a photographer slash a coach slash a writer slash this slash that so you have multiple identities at the same time well if you take that to another level you can have multiple beliefs at the same time So, for example, one of my current research now is around gender identity and gender expression. And I see myself both as a straight guy and as LGBTQ and queer. And I see these two realities existing in parallel. I see myself as a man and as a woman at the same time. And so I've been exploring with these kind of questions and these ideas of how can you be multiple things at the same time and how can you live with multiple identities and in multiple realities at the same time? And it comes the same when it comes to political issues, to, you know, important conversations, how to experience the multipleness of realities around the topic simultaneously. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah, it sort of makes sense. I, I definitely agree on the whole sort of general philosophy that things are never so binary as we might expect them to be and there everything is more like ever shade of gray rather than black and white but then yeah trying to wrap your head around some of those things like sort of being a straight guy but actually not nor and things like that sort of can sound a little bit like 
off the wall, hippie, crazy, but then it's often these things that are kind of, you need to kind of reach a level to kind of unpack and then like understand that if, whereas if you just sort of come through it from like what you're used to, you might never quite actually understand it. But once you sort of been there, you suddenly kind of get it. Like, you know, when you look at an illusion and sort of, it just always looks the same. And then suddenly you can kind of actually see both at the same time and you can kind of just swap in between it. It's suddenly like, Oh, right. I totally get it. And that's exactly it. And that's exactly the image I have in my head. Exactly. It's the image of the old lady and the young lady or, yeah, the duck yeah. and the rabbit and you see one and then people are like, no, there's an old lady. And like, no, it's a young lady. And then eventually you see the old lady and you're like, oh, fuck. How did yeah. I not see that before? And the two can live at the same time. And you may not necessarily be able to see the two at the same time, but okay. you know that they both exist at the same time. And for me, what's interesting about that is that by learning to do this, and this is kind of the most interesting thing I'm learning now about being human, and the interesting things about being human is that, yeah, that gives a multiplicity of human experience, which is that you can experience the world as different people at the same time. Because you can see a topic, you know, like you see, for example, let's take something easy, like Donald Trump. It's very easy to look at him and be like, oh, fucking asshole, or look at him and be like, oh, yeah, I love him. For me, what's interesting is to look at him not just as one, like, linear perspective, but can you see him in three dimensions, in full three or even four dimensions? Can you see him for the multiplicity of angles at the same time? and see the multiple realities that are happening in parallel. Because for me, that's like living your life, you know, in the way we used to, which is, yeah, yeah, you like know, I'm Belgian, I'm an engineer, I've got a wife, I've got a kid, I go to church, I do this, whatever, you know, I live my life, I do my thing, and that's me. Versus looking at life as, oh, there's this situation, here's the world. Well, I'm part of all of this. And I understand the range of perspective I can look at this from. I mean, it's like going from black and white photography to do it, to, hologram, to watching, you know, like a full screen, like yeah. video, 3D fucking thing where you're like, holy shit. This is so much better. I mean, why were we looking at these crappy little drawings before? This is much more fun. So yeah, yeah, for me, that gives richness to the human experience. Yeah, that's really cool. It's suddenly, that's something I definitely kind of got from my, like a 10-day Vipassana, and you suddenly oh, yeah. get like a lot more out of your own brain and just start to think about like the world a bit more and get a lot more different perspectives on things. Like we have the analogy of, like, you know, um, like 10 people trying to draw an elephant, but they each like view him through a different keyhole. And like one guy draws a foot, one guy draws an ear and they're like, Oh, this is an elephant. And he goes, no, the elephant is like a tail. And, and like none of them really have a concept because they're never really looking at the whole thing. But then you kind of realize that, yeah, like Donald Trump, you know, he's a father, he's a husband and he's like a guy that's just trying to sort of fix some of his own problems. And, and he was a kid really at one point like to the same newspaper of what you hear about him. And yeah, you're only going to think one thing. Yeah, and, and at one point, that guy was a kid, you know? Yeah. At one point, he was a kid who just wanted breakfast. 
Definitely. You know? All he yeah. wanted was for his mom to give him something to eat and, you know, and, and we all get there and we don't operate in vacuums. And that's yeah, the yeah. other thing about humans is that as much as we sometimes want to, we don't operate in a vacuum. And I think that that's, that's probably one of the biggest mistakes we make as humans when we think of ourselves, from my experience, is we either act as if we operate in a vacuum and everything is our fault and it's all down on us, or the exact opposite, as if, you know, it's the environment that's responsible for everything. And again, two realities which are, I think, both true and both coexist at the same time. Yeah, that's really something that's been like in my head a lot, actually. As in, yeah, definitely are both completely true. As in, you're completely dependent on your environment. That's everything that you do is because of what's happening to you and around you. But then everything that happens is kind of controlled by you because if you can sort of define what environment you're in, you can kind of interact with it to change it. And yeah, it's definitely a double reality. As in, if you just, yeah. And, yeah. See, and that's what I mean by living in multiple realities at the same time is, how do you live your life not having to choose one or the other? And I think that, that that's for me the most interesting thing about humanity today is that we are time in history where humans can do this. Yeah, yes, yeah, really interesting places. And yeah. Which is how do we live these things together? How do we go beyond the simple life that we used to have in the past, which was very much, I mean, you look at the Maslow hierarchy of need, our life was very much survival. It was, you know, figuring out how we function as a society and all that. And, you know, at the top of the hierarchy of need is fulfillment and meaning. And I think that we're, we're getting there as a society, which is that we're getting to that place where we're like, okay, so... Past eating, having a roof. Yeah, well, we used to get the fulfillment of need by fulfilling the other needs, whereas now those needs yeah. are all met. We have like this vacuum of like, oh, I need to have a purpose which isn't fulfilling these needs anymore. And it's where we're getting a bit confused. And, and so where, yeah, where do we go now? I mean, yeah, yeah. what do we do now that, yeah, just eating and surviving is, you know, Something that as a society, we really should be able to take care of. We have the capacity to feed the whole planet. And so I think that, yeah, a lot of us are asking ourselves these more interesting questions. When you ask about coaching, that's kind of where we started. That's one of the places where my coaching has, is changing. And um, I've been doing a lot less coaching lately because I've gone through my own explorations and my own creations. And one of the reasons that I used to coach people, the main thing I coached people on was how to make money. That's always what people paid me for, is how to make money. Which, you know, I did through teaching them how to make money from doing good, how to make money doing what they love, how to make money adding value to people. But that was always kind of the key concept at the center of things. And that's very much a concept within the matrix. And, you know, and the matrix is fine because we, we all operate within the matrix and it's important. And I guess, you know, part of the human condition is that there's the matrix side of things, which is society, and that's real and it exists. I mean, it's totally real. You can't escape the matrix. It's there. We all live in it. Mm. But we also live outside of the matrix. 
And I think that that's for me possibly where the movie, you know, and I think about this now for the first time, that the movie could be redone in a new metaphor is that I don't think that the two worlds are necessarily a clash. I think the two worlds can coexist and do coexist. Like there is this matrix world that, that is there because that society is the way it is. But there's also the world outside of the matrix. And then how do we operate in there? And learning to do both, I think, is important. Yeah. And I'm now more interested in that other side and coaching people on that other bit of stuff. Okay, so what sort of things would that entail then if you... Well, things like this idea of integrating realities, integrating multiple realities and integrating a more spiritual life, I guess, for lack of a better word, but I don't like the word spiritual. I guess a life where, you know, we integrate more the idea of magic, the idea of flow, the idea of things being fluid, of mistakes being more important than successes of uncomfortable being what we look for because for me that's the world where we grow in an exciting and fun way yeah i like this because i'm yeah i certainly i used to have like um, on my list of targets for my life i was kind of like seeking to be a millionaire by the time I was 30. And I kind of got like halfway there and I'm like 28. And I'm like, actually, I don't think I really need to carry. I, I kind of already feel like I can get there. Like I don't really need to sort of carry on walking this path and like do it. What do I need this money for anyway? I've got a bit more of like a going off on a tangent of other things that are really interesting. And a bit like you, I just interested in lots of stuff and I kind of like doing things to the point where I know I'm good at it. I don't really care about getting like amazing at it. As in, I kind of mm-hmm. know what the purpose of this money is yeah. first before I like, spend half my life just earning more money just because I have money isn't just because at that age you made that goal yeah yeah it seems like I'm mean, pretty sure I'll still reach being a millionaire maybe five years time but I'd rather like find ways to add massive value to the world and enjoy myself at the same time rather than just linearly doing it with like the first business idea I can use to get that kind of thing yeah and that's part of this idea again of these multiple realities of being able to accept that we change and it's still you and it's part of your identity and there's part of you that wants to be a millionaire and that's fine and then there's another part of you that today is like okay you know what that's cool but that there's other things that i'd rather do right now than do that and the two live together and, and that's part of for me what's interesting is that the two live together and we can't deny the other side because there is a part of us that wants to live in the matrix there is a part of us that still wants to make the money. There's still a part of us that wants to look good. There's a part of us that want, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think it's important to learn to do this because that's what I see with the hippie people because you talked about the hippie world. And I love the hippie world, but that's one of the big problems there. Yeah, when People yeah. want to live in that sort Too of much. spiritual sort of bubble. They don't know how to function in the fucking matrix. Yeah. And so they don't know how to operate in this world. And for me, what's interesting is how do we bring the two together? Mm, yeah, definitely. As uh, in, you know? I really agree with it. Same with like in meditation where you're like all loss of ego and just sort of being completely in the moment. But how do you actually integrate with the rest of reality and be a functioning person that's sort of more in the moment and happy and like useful to others and caring and not too full of ego, but has enough ego to actually look after himself and be a useful human in society and everything and 
if you just completely ignore all money and everything, then what you see, you just sort of sit there taking bread all the time and that's it. Like, that's not really that Yeah, helpful. if you're a monk, I mean, it's great to be Zen and peaceful when you're a monk living mm. in a monastery and not, quote unquote, doing anything except meditating on... Yeah. Seeking. You know, it's like, it's great. Path, you know, and, and it's great, but yeah, like this is, this is cool and it's, it's good for a certain time to practice, but take that to the real world. For me, that's like being in the gym and never yeah. actually doing stuff. It's like, yeah, okay, yeah. great. You're training at the gym. Good. Now, what are you going to do with that? Yes. You know? Go not- fight someone. Go rock climb. Go play, you know, some sport. Go, you know, you know, the muscles you're building, use them for something. Yeah, uh, yeah. Mental, spiritual muscles you're building, use them for something. Go run a company with 100,000 employees and be a, a monk at the same time. Now, that gets me excited. Yeah, definitely. That's the world I want <laughs> to live in. You know, that, that's what I want to see. It's people who integrate worlds together, integrate things together like that in a way that you're like, holy fuck, like, I didn't think that these two could work like that. That's what gets me fired up. Yeah, yeah. Sort of like, you may as well just go spend the time to playing computer games, being in your own matrix, because it's just the same as playing games in your head of what you should be doing in life, as it is playing games on the computer, really, when you're sitting and meditating the whole time. But um, so, like I said, you've had like these five years out to just kind of live in Costa Rica and be slightly more out there in your lifestyle because yeah the last time i spoke to you you were definitely like wearing your suit and had like a sharp haircut mm-hmm. and things and now you know beard hippie bun no shirt <laughs> definitely yeah. beach lifestyle and things so you're you're still combining that with coaching people and being like an integral human and running stuff or how, how are you yeah living I mean, your reality so yeah i integrate you know different lifestyles together so I live a very yeah hippie lifestyle. I mean, I'm barefoot every day, topless, and you know I live in the countryside, in the jungle. I'm surrounded by monkeys, and you know I've got a dog, three cats, and it's all like supernatural and hippie kind of bullshit kind of stuff. You know, my neighbor has a plant healing retreat center. Uh, my other neighbor makes kombucha and <laughs> smudge sticks and a natural like smoking blend, you know, so, like natural herbs and you know everyone's definitely super hippie and all that. But at the same time, here I run a fine dining restaurant. So I started two and a half years ago, a fine dining restaurant that's now number one on TripAdvisor for the region. And that was selected by Open Table as one of 25 dishes to travel around the world for out of 40,000 restaurants. So I run this really high-end restaurant out of my home where people eat on a picnic table, a dinner that they pay $145 per person for. And that's one of the ways I integrate opposites is, you know, Creating these experiences that get people to go, whoa, whoa, what the fuck? Wait, what? How? And I do everything on my own. So it's this entire fine dining experience and there's no staff, there's no waiters, there's nobody else. So I've been creating these really cool dinner experiences 
and then I still do a little bit of coaching. Like, so that's taken a lot of my time in the last two and a half years. And now that this is set and now that I've reached, you know, number one on TripAdvisor and all of that, now I've got a little bit more time. And interestingly, as I'm having, you know, a little bit more time for myself to go back to coaching at the same time, naturally people have come back to me and be like, Hey, you know, we've seen what you're doing with the restaurant. Like I want to do something with my life that's, you know, blah, blah. And then I'm now sort of back to coaching people. What interests me today is people who have these dreams that make everyone else go, what the fuck? What are you going to do? That's kind of what interests me. Yeah, that's cool. You know, people with dreams that everyone's like, that makes no fucking sense. I'm like, yeah, cool. It's like, if it makes no sense, then I want to hear about it and see whether we can create some sense out of it and whether we can turn that thing that seems impossible into something magical because the only way to create something magical is to start with something impossible. Cool. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. I'm, um, yeah, I'm not coaching people to do that so much at the moment, but I'd like to be. That's, that sounds pretty fulfilling. I've definitely uh, been working on some ideas because I've been like reading so much books around psychology and things, but I'm really concerned about like climate change and been doing lots of science and business and things. I'm trying to like combine all of this into like an entity to kind of change the world a bit more. And because I've been reading a lot, there's been a really good white paper around climate change and using machine learning to solve these problems, but they do start it with a, okay, so there's like a hundred pages of amazing ideas with like AI and stuff that can help, but we do kind of need to fix the way humans think so that they actually like want to do these things. And so I was more like, well, really what we need is a whole white paper around how can we change the way humans think around climate change so that's actually sort of something useful and we can, but like as in fundamentally in the same way that, you know, when you've got like a fire, like literally burning your hand, you're like, shit, I've got to get away from this. How can you make humans literally feel like they're doing something crazy bad every time they do something that isn't useful for the environment. So it's not even so, like we're trying to do something because if you can't make people so, not do something, back, they don't back, want back to do. So the, the, this is very interesting because now we're going back to the very, very beginning about being human. Yeah. That's the problem about a lot of science and a lot of how politicians work and AI work is that it's about if we can change humans. Yeah. The point yeah. is humans are the way they are. And so, it's not if we can change the way humans think about climate change. I think the question is, you know, the more powerful question is, how do humans operate and how do we work with the way humans function mm. in yeah, a definitely. way that's best for the climate? Because humans operate the way they operate. We're not going to yeah, change yeah. the way humans... Yeah, so that's... I'm not trying to... Change that, but I'm trying to sort of fundamentally. So, going through analysis of what are the ways that humans think, how can you sort of change behaviors and change environments to change the way people think, to then implement these two like things together around climate change. It's, it's still about how do you change how people think. But changing the way that a human brain actually works, but changing the thoughts that are going into it so that the thoughts that come out. So, it, like for one example. Like, so there's just the word carbon dioxide. It sounds really boring or like, 
my carbon footprint. It sounds like a fossil. It doesn't sound something that's like the most important thing in the planet for me to be dealing with. It's just like a piece of boring thing that happens to be associated with me. So if you had like a word for carbon dioxide instead that was like toxic mega killer da death or something or like killertron, you'd be like, okay, actually that's something kind of bad. I probably shouldn't be emitting a load of killertron. That's sort of, it's like actually named as something stupid and I, I don't want to be telling my daughter that I just emitted like a ton of kilotron today because I wanted to take a flight to Berlin for the weekend. You know, you sort of actually have to start taking ownership of it. And like, should there be a tax on this thing? Okay, yes, there probably should be. Do I want to know how much there is on each item that I buy? Yes, I do actually. And like, how can we actually sort of change like the environment slightly to make the thinking the right way? Not actually changing the way humans think, but changing the things around us that affect our thoughts in the first place. Yeah, perfect. That sounds to me a lot more interesting in the end. So that, and, that, and that's, that to me sounds more interesting because that's in line with what I'm talking about, which is using the way humans function to help them make yeah, their yeah. lives better. So uh, accepting as they are yeah. and like seeing how we can work with that to change things rather exactly. than saying, oh, humans are bad. Let's make humans like nice because yeah. you can't just do that. Like, no, it's like if humans care, then they take action. Like, yeah, why yeah. It? so it's care. trying to like the name sucks. So yeah. let's make it a name that's more exciting because humans respond to a powerful name. Yeah, exactly. And so if you think of like currently, like human does his things, and then there's over here there's climate change. There's like a whole bunch of stuff in the middle that you don't really understand that results with this other thing, but somehow making the direct link that you can see exactly that when I do this action there's this really bad thing straight away and just tying it in your brain straight away. So, you know, when you're doing things that are right or are wrong and that you want to make the right choice by proxy. So that's kind of like the whole fundamental thing. Or if you think of like, even like a unit of carbon dioxide, like a ton of carbon dioxide, I have no idea what a ton of carbon dioxide is. I've never like taken one home from, from the gas station with me or like carried it in my backpack. I don't know what it is. I can't see it. I can't perceive it. It's sort of, how can we actually, make people know what it is and feel bad about it and these things and <laughs> yeah so it's kind of like an impossible thing but it's not fully impossible it's definitely doable like there's all like this, the information i think is there and everything is possible to put together but it's kind of a hard task and but i think it's a worthy challenge to take on and kind of more interesting than i don't know just building a normal business just because i know how to like make money yeah, 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 and, and it's nice because you've always been passionate about the environment. It's something that's... Mm. And about like human psychology been. and behavior, so it's sort of like the two things. And it's interesting to bring them together. Yeah. And to see, uh, you know, how the two, two operate. I'm actually learning a lot here from living in nature and from plants. Mm. From, I'm surprisingly learning a lot from plants. Probably the best thing I've learned from plants about how to be a good human is the idea of not being productive okay because most plants and trees don't produce stuff all year long they only produce stuff for a couple of weeks or months a year the majority of their time most plants and trees don't actually produce anything quote unquote yeah yeah okay, i get you yeah as in they don't do anything it doesn't mean that they don't do anything they actually produce a lot but they don't make fruits or yeah. vegetables. Like they work on it, they prepare it. 
so you know seeing nature like that suddenly it occurred to me i was like this is weird because humans in the matrix as we created it we're supposed to produce stuff every single day mm. every day you fucking wake up you produce shit even on the weekend saturday sunday you still got to do shit because you've got a weekend you've got two days and you can't just do nothing because you've got to maximize your time you go on holidays you've got to see shit you've got to go places you've got to be entertained you've got to have fun you always got to do something yeah but trees don't and i'm like why as humans can't we learn from that and relearn the idea that maybe we don't have to be productive every day all year long and maybe mm. being productive three months a year but really being fucking amazingly productive those three months a year and then you spend the rest of the year like a tree just yeah yeah being more being ready for the next years you know and not resting out. and yeah yeah relaxing. definitely that's yeah super that's, that's definitely what i've just been kind of thinking about this last week when i've been doing this boot camp of been trying to optimize all my like trying to get up a few hours before things start and do some things and like trying to optimize my lunch hour because it's like one hour if I, if I did like just working on like my handstands or just doing like memory exercises for that hour I could be super good at that by the time I finish the boot camp or something and then in the evening trying to like do lots of stuff and I'm like actually wait why am I doing so much stuff I'm already doing quite a lot already whilst I'm on a boot camp do I need to be constantly producing and always getting better every single second of my hour probably not I could be hanging out and just having a nice time with some of the people here on the course and you know observing those and more of the people and getting into Israel and things or I could just I don't know chill out go for a run like just enjoy myself and and it's just like a huge weight off my shoulders and I'm just like fuck yeah I'm being stupid stop <laughs> stop worrying so much and trying to do everything all the time and just kind of enjoy myself I'm already doing like 90% of what I need to be doing and that's probably more than enough and it's fine and I think that this is that thing about, you know, like, oh, yeah, these multiple realities. It's been okay, you know, like, but both truths are fine. Both truths are, are true that you can maximize your time and you don't have to maximize your time. And now I think that the challenge is that school doesn't teach us how to deal with those questions because school likes to teach us stuff that are black or white and doesn't yeah. teach us how to deal with wait but this is stupid fine to maximize my time but it's also fine to not do anything with my time what the fuck do i do now you know and it's like well now that's life for me that's not now life becomes interesting now with that question we've got some interesting questions which is both are perfect but then when you're thinking about that are you being too analytical about it and you're maximizing your meta time by like taking time to chill to say you maximize the time when you are maximizing and so you're actually you're being a massive maximizer from above if you think about it uh-huh just to be like yes. a little bit ott but I yes think exactly and, and and that's the, it, absolutely absolutely i think that's exactly what i and then you go to the next level you know mm. and then yeah. you go up and you go up and you go up because yeah if because not maximizing is a way to maximize also yeah Nice. Very cool and deep. So back track a little bit. I would <laughs> like to understand a bit more about how you started a restaurant in the middle of Costa Rica on a pic just on picnic tables and without any chef background. 
was able to make amazing sort of level top rated food because I've seen some of the pictures and it looks awesome. I think that you know the cool thing what made the restaurant work impossible is is this this integration of multiple realities because people arrive there and you know you've got to take a look at another level. So people arrive in Costa Rica, they go on the internet, they go on TripAdvisor, they see photos of fine dining, luxury kind of food that looks like a Michelin star kind of restaurant in London or Paris. And so they've got an idea in their head as to what they're booking into. You know, white tablecloth and waiters and, you know, in Costa Rica, so maybe like an infinity pool or, you know, something like that. And they pay in advance. And then they arrive and they arrive to a wooden house, especially at the very beginning. It was a tiny little wooden house with two picnic tables and a guy dressed in shorts, T-shirts, barefoot, a dog, three cats. And they always had this like, what the fuck moment. And you could see the stress and the tension. You could see people being like, is this a scam? You know, like, what the fuck is... <laughs> and, 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 and that's where it... That's how it works. And that's how the restaurant has become what it has become. Is because people are constantly moved from one reality to another. And so it's a little bit, you know, I've got a lot of friends who do hypnosis. And so I learned about one of the main techniques of hypnosis is the idea of opening a story, opening multiple stories and not finishing them. And then you finish them all at the same time. And so what happens every time you start a new story and you don't finish it, the person's kind of hanging because they're waiting for you to finish the previous story, but now they're trying to follow the next one. And then you start a new story and they're trying to follow that story, but now they're trying to hang out to the last two stories. And that's kind of how you create what they call an hypnotic loop, which is, you know, getting people into this thing where they're like, whoa, and they go in and in and in and in because they're trying to keep up with. And then when you close them, suddenly it's like, wow, it all makes sense. Well, if that wasn't an opportune moment for cutting an episode, I don't know where else I was going to cut it. But yes, the second part of the interview carries on where we left off with the rather open loop that I've just created. And we um, go straight into where Naum is building his own hypnotic loops with the people that come and visit his restaurant and how he's got his restaurant to be the number one place on TripAdvisor and what success is and how to have find that in business and what the point of gender is and how to question your own gender and many other things and kindness and stuff. And yes, we go super deep in the second part of the episode as well. And there's just so much stuff to think about that I am really hopeful that you will like ruminate on this over this sort of transitory period as we're going between our decades. It's perhaps a good moment for you to think about what are you, where you're going with your life and what you want your life to really be and become. And, um, I really do hope you tune in for the episode next week and try and listen to them together. And it's it's actually something that I've actually listened back to a few times repeatedly. Just it gets like a lot more powerful as you sort of start like thinking about what these things are and how to um, implement them. 
Like the first time I did it, it was like it felt fundamentally hugely changing, but I didn't go and do some of the things that we speak about in the next half of this episode. But on reflection on them, like having some time to ruminate and then like listen again, I'm like, shit, I'm actually going to do these things that I've spoken about. So I go a bit nuts and um, I'll probably do a third part to this episode where I actually talk about all the things that I've then got and changed as a result of listening to this episode. I would highly recommend following Nam on social media. He is one of these people that posts really long like essays in his things and you're like I, I i hate all people that do this basically except for him who posts these amazing essays and you read them and you're like holy shit this is so cool like it is really a joy to actually follow him he's one of those few people that i'm very very happy to be following on social media and i'm sure you will be too so i would recommend hitting him up on instagram or facebook or twitter um, just to make your life more interesting i'll have details in the show notes for you and um cool have a really good new year's eve and don't do anything stupid you've only got a few days left of the decade and i will catch you all next week when i have nam kostuki again on the podcast you've just listened to an episode of the growth mindset podcast if you enjoyed the show please subscribe on your preferred app and give me a good rating as these go a really long way If you are unable to give good feedback right now, try sharing the show with a friend who will, or just wait for the show to improve. If you have any ideas for the show or you just want to chat, then please reach out to me on Twitter at SamHarrisTweets or Instagram at SamJamSnaps. Show notes and other links to topics discussed in the episodes are available at the website growthmindsetpodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening. Give yourself a big hug from me. If you're with a friend, give them a hug as well. And I hope you enjoy your next podcast.